Let's pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we do believe in his Jesus' death and resurrection. Fill us with that living faith through your word this morning. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Boy, life happens fast, doesn't it? It's been three weeks since I've been here. And it just goes by so fast. Do you you even remember what three weeks ago was? It was Easter. It was Easter, right? On Easter Day, we said, He is risen. He is risen indeed. And you know, if you do... If we did that all year, like a month from now, we'd be going like, he's risen, he's risen indeed. Like, haven't we done that already? But the fact is, we come together as Christians have done for almost 2,000 years each and every Sunday. Not the Sabbath day, Saturday, but Sunday because it's known as, do you know what this day is known as? The Lord's Day. It's known as the Lord's Day because of one thing and one thing only, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we gather each and every Sunday to celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As I talked about three weeks ago, if you take away the resurrection, you take away the gospel. And if you take away the gospel, there is no such thing as Christianity. There is no promise of everlasting life. But with the resurrection, with the fullness of the gospel, you and I have the promise of everlasting life with Him. So it is the cross and the resurrection that's the gospel. And we need to ground ourselves in those fundamentals again and again. You see, we want to make the gospel our lifeblood, the very air that we breathe. Because without the fundamentals in place, i got to tell you, without the fundamentals in place, there is a lack of unity, there is a lack of harmony, there is discord, if you will. And churches that are not grounded in the gospel, there is discord. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, had to deal with a ton of discord. Some of the things that he was dealing with were um, the divisions on, on Jesus, leadership, lawsuits, sexual immorality, idolatry, spiritual gifts, even the resurrection, just to name a few. So in his letter, he goes back at the very end of his letter to the fundamentals. As Julie Andrews said in The Sound of Music, you know, when she was trying to get the kids to sing all together, she sang that song, Do Re Mi, you remember? It starts off, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with A, B, C. When you sing, you begin with Oh, see, you know that one. You're like on the mountain, everybody twirling around like Julie Andrews. Well, borrowing from Oscar and Rogers and Hammerstein, when you have faith, oh, you can tell. You spell the gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. It's the best I could do. 
So we are going to start at the beginning to make sure we are grounded in the fundamentals. And we are going to be spending the next three weeks, this week and the next two weeks actually, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we really understand the resurrection. We begin first with the new good news from God. Chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So Paul is going back to the primary teaching. He says, this is the most important teaching that I have given you, the preaching that I have preached. It is the gospel. Now I have to tell you, when you say gospel, to most people, it doesn't mean anything. Even if they've been to church, even if they've been to church their whole lives, and they've heard this word, the gospel, even if they've been in leadership positions in a church, most people actually do not understand that word, gospel. And we've covered this before, gospel in a fundamental, literal translation. Do you remember what it means? Good news. The gospel means good news. And so when you're talking to somebody... Never assume that they understand what gospel actually means. Because you might say, well, the gospel of John. And they're like, well, what is that? Translate it this way. John wrote about the good news of Jesus. Matthew wrote about the good news of Jesus. So you talk in that way. That's how to start to share the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. And I want you to notice that when you share that way, you, you actually use words, don't you? Because a lot of people think, well, I don't have to share. I don't have to actually share the gospel. I can just live my life, and somehow they will see the gospel about how I live my life. And some people even misquote Francis of Assisi. They misquote him. They will say, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. St. Francis never said that, by the way. And as far as I can tell, Jesus talked a lot, and so did the apostles. They all used words. One fellow I came across on Facebook recently, Rudy Serta. I have no idea who he is, but I liked what he said. He said, there is no way to preach the gospel with your life. You can affirm the gospel with your life, but you cannot preach the gospel with your life. You can only preach the gospel by opening your mouth and speaking the word of God. Let's put this to a test, okay? Just for fun. I don't know if this is a fun example, but okay, we'll we'll give it a shot. Let's say you come across a guy who's bleeding profusely, and he says to you, I'm dying. I've only got two minutes to live. I've heard about this gospel, but I actually don't know what it is. Can you tell me? I've only got two minutes. What do you do? Take out your phone and say, well, I want to show you some pictures of my life. Do you have a piece of paper? We can do a Pictionary. 
or I'll mime it for you. No, you use words, don't you? And they don't have to be fancy words, but you do use words. And this is what Paul wrote. He says, how then will they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe of him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Paul says, I preach to you what is of primary importance and that you should stand firm on what I preach to you. You are to stand firm on the good news because it is the foundation of your salvation. When you stand on the foundation of the gospel, you are saved. If you move off the gospel, there's not a promise of salvation for you. And so Paul says you've got to stand firm on that. Because people will try to knock you off. Any of you played dodgeball growing up in gym? I know I think they've outlawed that now because of injuries. But right, you try to throw them and knock people off. Look, the world will play dodgeball with you and want to knock you off the gospel. Even churches, even churches with division, knock each other off the gospel. We're to stand firm on the gospel. That is our salvation. And we stand firm not because it's man's word, but because the good news is from God himself. Paul says, For I delivered you as first importance what I also received. He's saying, look, this was not a man-made invention, this gospel. It comes from God himself. In uh, his letter to the Galatians, chapter 1, starting verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, receiving a revelation from Jesus Christ sounds pretty good, unless you remember what Paul's story was, right? Paul, Saul, was ravaging the church. He was persecuting the Christians. Literally, I mean persecuting, like not only jailing, but beating, flogging. Some died from that. And then he was on this road to Damascus, right? And he was blinded. He was, it's like this. Sometimes when God is going to get your attention, he uses a two-by-four like you use on a mule. I can attest to that. God has occasionally used a two-by-four for me to get my attention. Leighton, you need some rest. COVID. Okay, good. Got some rest. Got it. I actually, I did have that thought. It's like, I'm the most rested that I've been in probably, I think, four years. But Paul's revelation was this. In Acts chapter 9, it says, Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So Paul is telling the Corinthians that he received this, not man-made, but of divine origin. And thus, the gospel that we have upon which we stand is not simply man's word, but of divine origin. So if we were going to sum up the opening of what Paul said, it would be, here's the good news from God himself. Here's the good news from God himself. And then what he does, he gives four essential aspects of the gospel. It says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. These four facts epitomize, sum up, the gospel. These are the essentials of the gospel. And actually, there's two, really, and two that support it. That Christ died for our sins, he was buried, supports that. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, we have witnesses that support that. So let's take a look at this first one. Christ died for our sins. Okay, so again, we've got to be able to share the good news with people and not only know the good news, but share it, right? So here's a question for you. Was Christ Jesus' last name? Is his name Jesus Christ? Ah, no. It's not. But a lot of people will think it is. See, as a matter of fact, in those days, they didn't have last names like you and I have last names. You would be known by who your father was. So Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, or from where you were from. So it was Jesus the Nazarene. So from Nazareth, right? So Christ is not his last name. If it's not his last name, what is the word Christ? Do you remember it all? The word Christ is a title. It is a title. Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, and it means the anointed one in the Old Testament, it's Messiah. Same meaning here. So Paul specifically says Christ died for your sins. And by saying Christ died for your sins, he is tying everything that Jesus did on the cross back to the Old Testament. He is saying that the Messiah fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. Remember, it says in accordance with Scripture three times in the verses that we have today. So three times he's saying, look, this is what was foretold and promised in the Old Testament, now fulfilled in Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus. That's why we had the reading from Isaiah. Isaiah talks about the suffering servant, the Messiah, who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And he further writes that the sins were put on by God. God put the sins upon the Messiah. So that's the first thing, Christ. A lot of people will not know what that means. 
so you can just explain it to them in simple terms, right? And now it says, for our sins. Now that's a correct translation, for our sins. But you know what? It actually has a better sense of on behalf of our sins. So when I say on, on behalf of our sins, that has the implication that it is a willful act. Sometimes you could say for our sins is a little bit passive, but it really is on behalf, a willful decision to be someone's representative. So Christ Jesus was our representative for all of our sins. Christ, the Messiah, died for our sins. And and we covered this, by the way, if you were here Monday, Thursday, that Jesus was the Passover lamb who shed his blood to cover our sins. Thus, the gospel is good news because Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself on behalf of our sins. Now, some people might have a problem with this phrase, and specifically that word, sin. You know, there's a lot of people, and even preachers, who don't want to mention sin because it could be off-putting to some people. So they will give sermons that are almost motivational talks more than anything. Jesus loves you. God has a plan for you. That you have a purpose in life. And they'll quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, are all the statements I gave true? They are, aren't they? Has anybody ever stopped and asked, why did God send his son? If everything's so hunky-dory and I'm pretty good, why did he send his son? Well, the truth is, if the gospel's good news, that means there's some bad news, right? I mean, really. If there's no bad news, there's no good news. By the way, I, you know, um, probably two years ago now, I was in our neighborhood walking the dog, and I came across two uh, Mormon missionaries, women, young, young ladies. And so we talked a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, by the way, for them to try to explain their gospel, and I say their gospel because it's not our gospel, uh, that person who was bleeding out would have died several times over. Because it's very complicated. But I said, okay, so if the gospel's good news, what's the bad news? And they looked at me like I was from Mars. You know, they, they had no idea whatsoever what bad news was. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, what is the bad news? One word. Sin. Sin is the bad news. We are all under the curse of sin. How we live, how we act, even our thoughts are sinful. And that's why often in our confessions, what we have done, what we have left undone, our thoughts, words, deeds, everything through and through, sin is really bad, bad news, isn't it? 
so that Christ died for our sins is actually wonderful news, isn't it? That he paid the penalty. That's why we began today with hallelujah for the cross. Some of the words, what good I've done could never save. My debt too great for deeds to pay. But God, my Savior, made a way. Hallelujah for the cross. A slave to sin, my life was bound, but all my chains fell to the ground. When Jesus' blood came flowing down, hallelujah for the cross. That death has not won. Love has won. Death has lost. That's the good news, right? That Jesus died, Christ died for our sins. That's the good news. That's why we talk about the cross and we say hallelujah for the cross. That's all. (laughs) By the way, that's all in that little phrase, Christ died for our sins. And then Paul goes on. He says, and that he was buried. Do you bury living people? Okay, if you're a psychopath, maybe. But for the, for the rest of us, right, we don't bury people who are alive. We only bury dead people. So it reinforces that he was actually dead. And the fact that Jesus died and then rose speaks to his nature. For we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. As fully man, he, he had to be fully man in order to die. But he also had to be fully God to live a perfect, sinless life and give a perfect sacrifice, a God-honoring atonement. So, all critics, by the way, will agree that Jesus was fully human, but many critics will fully reject that he was fully God. And yet, what are the attributes that Jesus has? Well, eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word, is in the literal sense. Jesus was in there uh, from the beginning, that he is omniscient, that he knows everything, that he is omnipotent, that he is all-powerful. He performed works of creation, Resurrection of the dead, miracles. Look, there's a lot of false prophets who have said they might have some of these attributes, but none have said they have all of those attributes. Muhammad said he wasn't God. Dalai Lama, not God. The Baha'i founder, which is a really odd faith, by the way, didn't claim to be God, nor did Joseph Smith claim to be God. A fellow named Aaron Lutzer said this, Scan the religious horizons, go to the library, and read all about the great religious teachers of history. Look not for a prophet, for their name is Legion, but find a Savior, qualified, sinless Savior. You will discover that Christ has no competitors. He died for our sins. He truly died and was buried. And then on the third day, he rose again. Going with our text, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Here's what I want you to notice about this. The first couple were very short, weren't they? Christ died for our sins, that he was buried. And now we've got this whole long section about the resurrection. He's really emphasizing that it happened. And he says, this is essential to the teaching, the preaching that I gave to you. So I'm going to cover a little bit more in depth what we covered three weeks ago because, well, do any of you remember what I said three weeks ago? Okay, so here we go. Yeah. Well, hold on. Wait a minute. So, that he died and was buried are verbs, and they verbs have certain tenses, past, present, future. I ran, I'm running, I will run, or even I continue to run, right? So, we delineate in the English language. Now, the Greek language does that by how you spell it, and it just, we aren't going to get it unless you actually go in and get a little nerdy about it. How's I can hear all my seminary professors. I guess we're just nerdy. Okay. But it's important because he was raised. That was raised is different. It has a different verb tense. It means he was was raised from the dead and continues his life in the resurrected state. Thus, when we speak of a risen Christ, we mean a living Christ. And so you and I have a living faith because we have a living Savior. Look, our living faith does not depend on how strong we are, but on how strong Christ is. Not that we bring ourselves to life, but he has brought us to life. And thus we have a living faith because Christ Jesus lives. As we're going to sing during communion, uh, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. See, there are so many people who say that they're Christians but don't live like it. They live like they're already dead. They don't live like Christ is living already. If I could sear one message into your brains, it is that this, that we have a living faith because we have a living Savior. Amen? Amen. He was raised and is raised, continues to be raised. And that he was raised also speaks to that it was God who raised him. The dead do not raise themselves, but it was God the Father who raised him. In their speeches, both Peter and Paul says that God raised Jesus from the dead. Thus the proclamation, it is God the Father Almighty who raised the Son from the dead. And this was the plan from the beginning. This was the plan of the beginning that from Scripture it says that he would be raised on the third day. And there's a lot of ways we could take a look at this. For example, 
God uh, from Hosea. God will restore Israel on the third day. Jonah was inside the fish for how many days? Three days and three nights. Isaiah prophesied about the resurrection as well. But we only need to really go to what Jesus said. And this is from our gospel reading. I'm going to read the whole thing. You've got parts of it. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said to him, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Listen, it's pretty unbelievable to see anybody raised from the dead, isn't it? It doesn't happen on a daily basis. It is truly a miracle. The disciples had trouble believing this, even though Jesus had told them several times. But when they saw him, when they touched him, when they ate with him, they knew that indeed Scripture had been fulfilled and he was and is the Christ, the Son of God. See, his bodily appearance was proof to those who would doubt that he was raised. And in a legal sense, it also provided a witness, a legal witness of what happened. This is why Paul also writes that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Do you realize if 500 people, if each person gave just a 15-minute testimony, you would have five days straight of testimony. There's the witness that he is risen. You see, what is the gospel? Well, we start with the bad news, right? The bad news is that you and I are sinners and we can't save ourselves. But Jesus is the Christ and he died on your behalf. And he really died and was buried. And then he was resurrected showing that sin and death have no power over him. And when you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you believe in your heart, that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. We should all be able to share that with others. That's the life-saving good news that is given to us. And what I am most pleased about with this body of believers is that we hold fast to that. And that provides the very glue that holds us all together which is the gospel. So for you, all right, we've heard these words. Let's apply them now. First of all, stand firm in the gospel, for it is the foundation of your salvation. Keep going back to the gospel. 
It's okay to go back to the fundamentals again and again because you stand more and more firm, more and more sure. Praise God for the gift of life and uh, for the gift of life through the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And then have a living faith because you have a living Savior. And finally, learn to share the good news. Somebody's eternal life may very well depend on it. And everybody says, amen, amen, amen.